Um, I want to thank Quincy for inviting me to share, and the privilege it is to share what I feel like God has stirred in me uh, in the last week or so. Interestingly, Quincy asked me a while ago uh, to preach on today, and he gave an open topic like I could choose, and I thought, that's risky. Um, But fortunately, Quincy's faith is in God, so that's reassuring. And actually, a few months ago, I, I felt stirred about a particular topic, and I started preparing for it and reading it up about it. Some of you will know what I was thinking about, talking to people and preparing for that. And then I felt God sort of say, put a pause on that. We're going to do something else. And I was like, oh, okay then. But actually, that can make you feel a bit nervous, but actually it filled me with excitement. And I can kind of see that this uh, topic is more related to where we're at at the moment. Um, And maybe the other topic you'll get at some point. Um, So I felt like God was inviting us as a church to grow in the area of corporate prayer. So, which is meeting together. I think sometimes when you say corporate prayer, you're like, are we going to have business meetings? What is that? Um, The power of meeting together to pray. So I've entitled uh, this preach, The Power of a Praying People. Now, this does not take away the fact that actually individual prayer is really powerful. Actually, coming away with God just by ourselves, reading the Bible, praying, listening to him, praising him, confessing our sins, coming to him is a powerful thing, and it changes our lives. It draws us closer to God. However, this morning, I'm not going to focus on that, but that doesn't diminish the power of that. We're going to look at what does it mean when we pray together, and what, is, what does God do in those times when we pray together? And I just want to encourage you, because I see lots of praying together. I see WhatsApp groups where people are comfortable to say, I'm really struggling this week, please pray. And people are like, we're praying for you, we're praying for you. I know we do it in life groups. We meet uh, once a month on a Tuesday evening. Uh, We meet on a Sunday morning before the service, which I just want to say, don't feel that's just for the people who are on set up and preparing. Do come on a Sunday morning at 10 o'clock, and we just spend some time asking God, inviting him to come and do whatever he wants to do on the Sunday morning. So there are many different ways that we are praying for one another and praying together, but I really feel like and feel quite stirred that God is like wanting us to up it a gear, and it's an invitation. It's an invitation as a people. As Western culture, we are very individualistic, quite a lot. So we could almost get more comfortable with that, okay, I go away and I pray by myself. There is real power when God's people come together and pray. And I feel like there's some things that God has got for us. I don't know what they are, but I feel there's some the big things coming up. We're looking at this term. We're going to be doing some sermons on evangelism, what it means to share our faith. We're going to be lots of training. We've talked about the carol service where we have Adrian Holloway coming and sharing the gospel. We're going to be equipped in that way. But I feel like almost the timing of doing this now is almost we need to start in prayer, but also together, actually asking God for his kingdom to come and all that he can do through that. And I'm getting a bit dry. Um, <laughs> Thanks for the bottles. Good job. They didn't take it away and keep it. So, 
as I said, the power of praying people is a whole different dimension. And we looked in Transformed Living um, in Ephesians 5, 15 to 16. We were given a warning and it said, be careful then how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise. Making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Now, I don't know about you, but everywhere I look around me at the moment, whether you turn on the TV, whether you are looking at social media, it's almost from every corner we're surrounded by stories of the worst of humanity. I kind of think, why do we have the news? that Let's switch on a screen and listen to the worst things. But it's almost that's what we're fed around us. And I suppose there's a bit of a challenge of, have we got used to that? Are we kind of a bit desensitized? Oh, yes, there's, a, there's another war there's genocide in countries, there's murder, there's rape. There is so much stuff going on in this world. Do we settle? Do we realize how much God's kingdom is the polar opposite? Are we hungry for that? Do we want to see that? And I believe we do, but it's almost like today God's saying, there's more. Come with me and journey in praying together in what God can do in our hearts for the kingdom to come. And as we look to this next term, what does God want to do within us? So I was kind of like, where would you look in the Bible to look at um, praying people? It's everywhere. Um, but I felt like a key place to start would be in the book of Acts, in the early church. So I feel like some of this is going to be story time with Auntie Rachel, which I love a good story. Um, what I would like to say to you, there's, there's three passages that we're going to look at. Feel free to get your Bibles up, but hopefully, yay, Joe, uh, uh, we'll have them at the back. There's so much that can be said on each one of these three passages. What I, wa- what I want to encourage you to think about is to look at what were, the, what were the early church doing in terms of praying together? What was that like and what happened because of that? Uh, because I, I could go on about all kinds of things in these passages, but those are the main things that we are going to look at uh, this morning. And just to give uh, the context, so in this, in this time, we're going to start at Acts 2, uh, 42 to 47. The early church, so what has happened before then? Jesus died on the cross, and many of the disciples were scattered. Many of them were very fearful. There was threats to them if they were associated with Jesus. Also, they were mourning and they were like, who is, we thought he was the Messiah, our saviour, but then he was crucified, he was murdered on a cross. And so they initially scattered and were quite scared and grieving, I can imagine. They managed to get back together, um, a few of them, and then Jesus revealed himself to them because he'd come out of the grave and he'd worked a miracle and he spent some time with them. But one of the things he said to them was, wait in Jerusalem for the Holy Spirit. I need to go now, but wait in Jerusalem for the Holy Spirit. So Jesus ascended into heaven, and they waited in Jerusalem. And boy, did God's power come. (laughs) The Holy Spirit just moved in power on them. I I can't imagine what that was like on what we call the day of Pentecost. When the Holy Spirit came, there were people speaking in different tongues. There was healing. There was salvation. Like, there was this great move of power uh, in the church. So that's what's happened already. And what we're going to look at is they've had that power, the power of the Holy Spirit. But how did they live their life? What did did it look like? And what did the role of prayer play in their life? So let's go for 
Acts 2, 42 to 47. And mine, the heading is the fellowship of the believers. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe. Many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to everyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread together in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So I almost feel like this gives us a bit of a snapshot. What were they doing? What was important to them? How did they live together? So here we've got the four things they, they devoted themselves. We have that word of devotion. That is with real intent. They devoted themselves to apostles' teaching, to hearing the word of God, to fellowship, for just being together, to breaking of bread and remembering what Jesus had done for them, and to prayer. And what was interesting was then everyone was filled with awe. They saw a lot of miraculous things in their midst. And all the believers were together and had everything in common. So there was a oneness and a togetherness. And it also speaks about they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. So at every moment, there was this reference to God. There was a togetherness. There was praise. There was that power, like prayer together, being the core of what they were doing. And then interesting at the end, it said, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So that's the, the snapshot to sort of see what the foundations of what they were doing, what was important to them. Now we're going to look at two different stories of what God did because of that. Um, so we're going to look next to Acts 4, verse 23 to 31. And if you've read Acts, you will know that actually, well, even when Jesus was alive, there was always persecution and they were trying to shut him up. But even more with the early church, they wanted to quieten them. There was this power. They were speaking about Jesus that the, the people of the day had, had, had murdered. They wanted to silence them. So often in Acts, you've got, they've been arrested, they're imprisoned, they come out or they're broken out or like it's a real dramatic story. So as much as they were seeing wonders and power, there was a real threat to life. There was real persecution. It was very real for them at that time. But that didn't stop them. So what we're going to look at now is um, after Peter and John were arrested. And they were detained for a while because they were preaching boldly and people were being healed. And interestingly, this is where the authorities actually themselves let, him, let them go. It was quite the early days, but very much said, you do not speak about this anymore. You don't use Jesus' name. That is not what you are doing. So it was almost a bit of a warning. We'll arrest you for a bit, let you out. You need to not do this. Of course, they were like, how can we not do this when we have seen what we have? Um, so they weren't going to stop. But interestingly, so from verse 23, it says, On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. 
You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers gather together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of our Lord Jesus. Name, that was automatic. Through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. So interestingly, right from the beginning, we see that Peter and John went back to their own people. They could have scattered again or gone wherever, but there's that kind of belonging and sense of togetherness in this band of brothers almost. Um, And they go straight back and they tell everything that went on, what the chief priests did, what they were told not to do. And straight away in verse 24, it says, when they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. So again, it was almost their first response was, let's bring that to God. We're going to give, bring it to God together. And then the rest of what we see is a, their prayer. And they, they talk and they give to God and they talk about what's happening around them, the persecution, the difficulties. But even with then, I love it in verse 29, it says, now, Lord, consider their threats. So you know, but consider their threats. Oh, I've lost the page now. And enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. So again, there was that dependency on God and saying, please, Lord, come and give us that boldness because we're aware of that threat. And also stretch out your hand. We want to see more of your power in this place. We want to see your kingdom come amongst us. And then interestingly, after they prayed, what happened? The place where they were filled that where they met were the meeting was... Sh- I can't. I'm going to start that again. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. So there was this real coming together and praying and keeping God at the center, and God moved in power and answered their prayers, um, and they saw a great move of power. And the final passage we're going to look at with story time with Rachel is Acts 12, 1 to 19. And this is going to show where actually God stepped in when someone was imprisoned and what he did. But actually, let's look again at what the people were doing in the background. So... Um, verse 12, verse 1 to 19. So it said, It was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. So the persecution was up in. This was real. Life was being taken. When he saw that this pleased the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. This happened during the Feast of Unleavened Bread. After arresting him, He put him in prison, handing him him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. 
Just a little side note, I think it's quite interesting that they obviously saw God as a threat and saw his great power, that one man, they had to guard him by four squads of four soldiers each. That is, so they already know that God's really powerful because it won't be about the power of that man. You've got 16 men guarding this one man. Okay. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church, what were they doing? Was earnestly praying to God for him. The night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and sentries stood guard at the entrance. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Quick, get up, he said, and the chains fell off Peter's wrists. Then the angel said to him, put on your clothes and sandals, and Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me, the angel told him. Peter followed him out of the prison, but he had no idea what the angel was doing, that what the angel was doing was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. They passed the first and second guards and came to the iron gate leading to the city. It opened for them by itself, and they went through it. When they had walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left him. Then Peter came to himself and said, Now I know without a doubt that the Lord sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were anticipating. When this had dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. Peter knocked at the outer entrance, and a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer the door. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was overjoyed. She was so overjoyed, even. Uh, she ran back without opening it and exclaimed, Peter is at the door! I find this really funny, because she was that excited, she left the door and went to go and tell everyone. Like, if I was Peter, I'd be like, what? <laughs> um, but interestingly, so they've been praying. They're earnestly praying. They always pray. Uh, this should fill us with hope when we've got some unbelief. Um, You're out of your mind, they told her. When she kept insisting that it was so, they said it must be an angel. So it can't be Peter. Um, but Peter, bless him, was in, like, persistent in his knocking. But Peter kept on knocking, and when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. Peter motioned with his hand for them to be quiet and described how the Lord had brought him out of prison. Tell James and the brothers about this, he said. And then he left for another place. In the morning, there was no small commotion among the soldiers as to what had become of Peter. After Herod had a thorough search made for him and did not find him, he cross-examined the guards and ordered that they be executed. That's a pretty brutal end. Um, so again, we see a praying people. And Peter will have, will have known that, that they were praying in the background. They're praying for his release. They're praying for miracles. And I find it interesting. It was always the place that they would go back to. Peter might well again have gone somewhere else. I need to just get out of here because I keep being arrested. It's a bit brutal. My friend's been murdered. I'm just going to get out there. But he's like, no, I'm going to go to these people who we are on this journey together, and they are praying for me, and we're going to continue to pray. Um, I do find it interesting, as I said, that actually they were praying for his release and were shocked by his release. But I don't know about you, some, that's what we do sometimes. In prayer, we're seeking God. When the answer actually happens, we're like, oh, really? 
So I don't know about you, but that encourages me because that was the, that was the early church. They were seeing a huge amount of miracles, but often they still didn't really get it. But boy, did they change as a band of brothers, as a people in that time. So there's kind of four kind of areas that I wanted to uh, highlight in terms of what was distinctive about the fact that they prayed and what it showed. Unfortunately, I'm not very good with preparing presentations, so they're not up here, so you'll have to remember them. Um, So the first one is dependency on God, dependency and devotion. In all three of these stories, I mean, it starts in Acts 2. It sort of says they devoted themselves to prayer, amongst other things. But that was a real pivotal, that was a real key thing that they did. And they did it together. Jesus did go away by himself and have that individual prayer. And I'm sure that at times they did that too. But I almost feel like when we read about the early church, there's a lot more of that praying together than maybe we in the Western church talk about. But the power but also it's because they devoted. When anything happened, we'll listen to the story, okay, we're going to pray. There's drama or someone's been arrested, we're going to pray. There was a dependence and a devotion uh, to God. And they continued praying. It talks about earnestly praying. He went to the house where they were praying. It's a continual thing that they're doing. And also it, it creates that dependency on God. And, it, and they saw deliverance. They saw what he did, so he's like, we're going to pray some more. Um, Another thing about when they prayed together is they changed as they prayed together. So as much as I talked a bit about individual praying, and God God does a lot in that time when we come away with him and he changes us, molds us. But also there's something as a praying community that means we change together. So if we look at them as a group of people... They became so much bolder as they prayed together. They were asking God for that, and they changed. If we think even about the disciples as they followed Jesus, there was arguing going on. There was, like, um, bickering. They, They were, at times, there was a bit of boldness, but other times there was a lot of doubt. It doesn't mean there wasn't here, but actually, as a group of people, they were changed together. Um... And I don't know about you, when actually in coming back from Turkey earlier in the year, just because of different things that happened, I actually really struggled praying by myself. Um, I just hadn't really got into the rhythm of it. So actually, the power of praying with people, boy, was that really encouraging. Actually, being able to hear even how other people pray, because God wants to hear from all of us, just as we came up and prophesied, like God uses each one of us, has made us unique. But also in praying together, we can have that real encouragement. Um, I know particularly when we were in the, the church weekend away and we spent some early morning prayer times, listening to Bami pray, he's, he's a powerhouse. He prays, like, and he prays the scripture, and he declares who God is. Do you know I mean? Like, actually, and that's not just Bami. There's other people that will pray in a different way that will really build us up. And we, we need that. Ephesians said the days are evil, I don't know about you, but I think they're going to get more of a challenge for us. I think as Christians, it's going to be more of a challenge for us. Um, So we need to be with one another, particularly if you're struggling and there is that battle with something. Get together with people. Let's be a praying people and see what God can do amongst us as a community. So they were bolder in proclaiming Jesus and they asked for that. They were filled with awe. If you're filled with awe, when you have those prayer meetings, you're like, we exalt you, God, we... 
as you are in awe of God, it naturally changes you. Like, as you go out, you're not the same person you were before. And that's the encouragement of us praying together. And they saw answers for prayer, to prayer, which built their faith. So even though they were praying for, for Peter's release and were shocked that he was released, I'm sure afterwards they were like, wow, God can do this. I can't imagine that angel just coming in and all those centuries and just get out the way and open the door. Do you mean like, this is the God that we serve, we love, who's changed our lives, and he wants to change this community around us, this world. He desires that no one should perish, but no eternal life. But also, he does that with us. We are co-workers. He's almost inviting us, will you come and pray with me. Don't let your works be fruitile. Don't do it all in your own strength. Let prayer as a people be your powerhouse. Um, so actually, when we pray together, it can be, and it might be we've prayed for someone for ages or whatever, and it's actually someone else who goes, actually, it worked. The prayer was answered. It's all really encouraging and builds us up and changes us. Also, unity. They, it says they, they, the believers were together and had everything in common. It's almost that praying together builds that sense of unity within us. And I don't know about you, if also it says if you come together and you have uh, an issue with your brother, your sister, go and deal with it. Almost if we're meeting together more, it creates that opportunity. Are we living in unity? But also they met so often together, they were also in unity because of the goal, the mission they had. They knew what God's heart was for them as a people. And God has a mission for us. In this area, in Oxted, in Limpsfield, in Tatsfield, in Kenley, wherever we're from, we're on a mission together. Will we unite in prayer for that and do the biggest battle in prayer together? But also that sense of belonging, because they were praying together. It's almost like we're all, uh, have the we all own the answers. If we just pray for something by ourselves, do you know what I mean? And we have the answer. But actually, if we've been praying for Rosemary and she says, this happened, it's almost like we all own that. We're all seeing what happened in Rosemary's life, for example. So it brings us together. And there was power. There were signs of God's kingdom breaking out. There were many miraculous, wondrous signs, healings, deliverance, angels opening doors. Um, and where it says the Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved. The place where they were meeting was shaken that's pretty dramatic. <laughs> but it's interesting that quite often it's saying after they prayed, this happened. After they prayed, they were filled with the Holy Spirit. God turned up. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. And I suppose one of my encouragements is, is that something that we desire more? Is it an area that we can grow in as a church? And there are opportunities for us to pray together to show and demonstrate our dependency and devotion on God, um, whether that's in life groups, whether that's gathering a few friends around together and praying, whether that's coming to prayer meetings. And I do th feel quite stirred that there might be changes in the amount of prayer as a church that we're going to be doing. Already, um, so Nikki has been one, uh, leading a spirit-filled time of prayer every other Tuesday morning which has been really amazing, and we've been very much interceding. It's been time of prophecy and really letting God lead us to pray for the church. And 
now that's going to that's going to be on every um, week. So that will be on a Thursday morning from 9:30 to 10:30. Um, so that is something that we're already up in. Um, we'll still have the prayer, monthly prayer meetings on a Tuesday night. Um, again, please come on a Sunday morning. Come and seek God with us before before the meetings. Um, rather excitingly, we have a week of prayer coming up from the 9th to the 15th of October. Um, I'm going to meet with a group of people tomorrow night just to pray and ask God what he wants us to do within that. Um, but I think it's really about seeking God. What, what does he want in us? What's that invitation for more corporate together prayer look like? What does it look like for our life groups? Um, so I actually want to spend some time thinking, how do we apply this? What do you think I might have thought there was a good way of applying? Um, but in prayer. So um, I also want to encourage you, I don't know about you've heard about revivals. I always find it amazing when um, there's a Scottish Hebridean revival. Uh, in When was it? 1949 to 1953, where two little old ladies in their 80s were burdened by the fact that young people were not coming to church. And they devoted themselves to meeting on Tuesday and Friday evenings from 10 p.m. to 3 a.m. in the morning. They did that for quite a while. They had some visions that God gave them for the church, and slowly other people came to join them on those times. And then revival broke out, and almost not in church services. There was one time when they're thinking, God's not doing anything, and they opened the church door, and it's almost like God had just done his work where there were people at home, they were at work, and people were thronging to the church. And that was two little old ladies in their 80s who got together and prayed. Um, another example, um, which I witnessed, I've worked with homeless people and prostitutes um, in Malaysia. And on our first anniversary, we had a feast. We celebrated God's faithfulness. Um, it was great. We had a big banquet for the homeless people, but also for volunteers. When it came to the second year, and I was in charge of the project... I looked at the bank balance, and we didn't have any money to celebrate. I was like, what are we going to do? Like, I really felt like we wanted to acknowledge again his faithfulness. And, um, and I felt God say, this year needs to be the year of fasting. I was like, well, what does that look like? Um, so we got feasting in the first year, fasting in the second year. And we actually, I had a friend of mine who led a 20, was trying to set up a 24-7 prayer movement um, on the island that I lived in in Malaysia. And he would go to different churches. They didn't have a building at the time. And we'd do 24 hours of prayer in the different churches just so that people could experience it and get a feel for it. So I approached him and said, how would you feel about coming to downtown to the homeless center and doing 24 hours of prayer there and we'll invite the churches? He was totally pumped and up for it. And um, my word, they were amazing, precious times. Um, and what I found most interesting was while we were praying, but also afterwards, and Malaysia is predominantly uh, Muslim, but also you had Buddhists and Sikhs, and, but God would really move in Muslims. So we would have almost a week after, people we didn't know turn up and say, Jesus spoke to me in a vision and said, I needed to come here because you were going to tell me about Jesus. Who is this Jesus guy? Do it, and we saw much more breakthrough because we continued. Almost the third anniversary was again fasting and praying. The amount of things we saw as we prayed were amazing. Um, 
And I know that in the story of King's Church, you will have that in terms of different seasons. And there are times God does not always answer the prayer as we want him to. But also as we look here, there's so much more about what he wants to do in us as a people as we pray. But also recently um, with Neil and Naomi, I know that over the years, people, whether it's in life group, whether it's from a distance, people will have stood with them and asked God for a baby. And actually you can see that. And it's almost, we've done that as a people. We might not have had a whole meeting together and prayed for it, but we might well have at prayer meetings. So the power of what God does when we are praying together um, is amazing. So we're going to pray before this falls off my ear. Um, what I'd love to do, if, let's stand up, because Phil, we need to not be passive in this. Um, I think what was great is there were lots of different words that were spoken today, prophecies, different words of encouragement. As I'm going to get people to um, join in a group of four. Um, if there was something that you felt God stirring you and would like prayer for, now's the time to sort of say, actually, guys, can you pray for me in that area? So feel free to do that. But also what I really want to do is to really pray for a very general God's kingdom to come. God's kingdom to come in Tandridge. God's kingdom to come in us as a church. I want us to ask him, Lord, what do you want us to do about praying together? And if you feel stirred, come and speak to me um, about it. Because we don't, it doesn't need to be one way of praying. We can do it in many different ways. So if you heard a prophecy and you want to respond to that, get some people to pray for you. Praying for God's kingdom, but also praying for God to speak to us about prayer. Lord, what do you want us to do? Give us that hunger to pray, to seek, and to be together in prayer. Also, if you have a little one in your group, it's the start of term. If they're starting at nursery, school, um, or just going back with their friends, let's also pray for them. So pray for the children also. So if you want to gather in, four, in, four, in a groups of four... Let's really seek God for what he's really saying this morning. And Dale will wrap it up afterwards. So gather together in your fours. Be active with the net.